Blog Talk Radio. Sorry. Good evening. And blessings. And welcome to another installment of the Just for Freedom of Space. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author, Leslie Gist, and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African-American experience by honoring all the people, past and present, black and white, who, with faith and focus, are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight. And we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. Okay, now I can talk. Today you are going to listen to the Gist of Freedom's archive show, and it is called the Post-Reconstruction Parallels of um, the Obama post uh, era. This film, I mean this film. Somebody, I hear background. All right, this um, recording was uh, done on June twenty sixth, twenty eleven. Um, I was so happy to meet someone and read a blog that felt the same way as I felt, which was that we were definitely heading into a post-Reconstruction era during the Obama. Okay, I can hear some noise. I hear somebody talking, yes. Can we mute your your telephone? No, I I, I think it's your your, um, introduction repeating itself. Hmm, I'm on mute. Oh. I'm in the background. Okay. Landscaping noise. Uh, okay, there's not <laughs> happening here. <laughs> but anyway, go ahead. I don't hear it anymore. I don't hear it anymore yeah, now. So thank you for whoever um, muted your telephone. Thank you. So this this um, broadcast was done originally in June of 2011. Um, I was excited to find a blog that find felt the way I felt. I hear Again. Okay, and um, it's called The Parallels of Post-Reconstruction and Post-Obama Reconstruction Era. And the young lady that we introduced is named Echo, Echo Soul. And before I hit the play button, I just want to say that the electors are going to cast their votes on um, December 19th. Each elector is going to go to their respective state capitals, and cast your vote. Now, there's something called a faithless elector, which is now um, gained a new hashtag called the Hamilton. And what these electors can do is they can say, as Hamilton had put into the federal uh, papers, he explained the, the reason for the electoral college, was to say just in case the masses um, just in case the masses uh, voted for someone that was unfit, like Trump, that this, these bodies, people that were highly respected in each state, could say, we want to save the country from this tyrant and vote for the most popular um, candidate. It happened once. 
in the third president's election with no other than Hamilton's um, nemesis, the man who ended up assassinating Hamilton in a duel, right here in Weehawken, New Jersey. Aaron Burr and Jefferson were running against each other, and the vice president or the speaker of the house had to uh, decide who a tie. So I'm going to check my notes and do more research on that story, but I just want you to think about that. If you can, contact your elector and um, try to persuade them to not to vote for Trump. It'll be a benefit. It's our last-ditch effort. Um, and I think if you listen to this show, which was recorded originally in 2011, and she wrote it in 2010, if you hear this show, then you'll see the parallels and why you need to be extremely concerned if you're an African-American or if you look like African-American. So if you don't think you're African-American, but you are going to be treated like one, you need to be concerned about what a Trump presidency uh, meant back in the 1800s when we first uh, got our liberation and what it means today. So I'm going to hit play. And, again, you could check me out on uh, iTunes at www.blackhistoryuniversity. You can visit me on Facebook at L-E-S-L-E-Y, that's Leslie, L-E-S-L-E-Y, G-I-S-T. G-I-S-T. And um, you can also listen to us in East, I don't know, it's, it's Brooklyn, East New York, on uh, 90 point, where, where can you listen to us on? 90.5, 90.5. Right, 90. Or, or Radio. All right, thank you.
and welcome once again to the Gist of Freedom is Faith. My name is Arlie Gordon of the National Black Teen Empowerment Expo and Unity Design, and as always, it's my pleasure to be your host for this broadcast, which is originally airing on June 26th to Gist the Freedom is Faith. With us tonight is a wonderful blogger and so much more, eco-soul intellectual, and we're going to discuss her fascinating controversial piece called Parallels Post-Reconstruction and Post-Obama Reconstruction Eras. Welcome to the Gist of Freedom of Faith, my sister. Greetings. How are you doing today, brother? Thank you for having me. I'm honored, and I look well, forward to having mm-hmm. Yes, we're blessed that you could join us. Now, let's, okay. just, let's set the stage accordingly, if you'd be so kind, by sharing with me and our listeners what the post-Reconstruction Era embodied what it was all okay. about. Okay, no problem. Well, I, I actually, I, I posted that last summer, um, July 2010, and I posted it because at the time um, the Tea Party um, and their protests were at a height, and I began to see a lot of uh, the right-wing conservative uh, politicians and also just uh, the um, people who represented that um, opposed Obama, but from the standpoint of a very racialized um, mm-hmm. point of view, uh, you know, uh, Obama hanging an effigy, Obama being compared to a monkey, uh, right. um, Obama being called um, um, a Muslim, which is, of course, the at that point that was the key word for, or the, um, uh, the uh, another word for saying the N-word, uh, and uh, Michelle Obama being compared to a gorilla. And um, so... <laughs> You know, I was concerned because there's one thing of having political engagement and um, disagreeing with political policies with the administration, as we all do, but there's mm-hmm. another, it's another thing when you do, when you oppose it, just because the man is black and your rationale is based in historical uh, racist tone and from a, a point of view. So that got me thinking that a lot of things um, that were being that were that were being done in terms of creating the climate reminded me of the post reconstruction era. And for your listeners, the post reconstruction era is the era right after what is called the reconstruction era. So after um, emancipation, uh, the the federal government then put uh, in put in place policies and also backed it up by military to enfranchise black people. So uh, in the late 1800s, you had um, uh, universities and schools being built for black people, Um, black people um, now being elected into Congress. Um, Mm -hmm. You had black businesses being established, and it was all protected under the federal government. Well, that lasted roughly about 20 to 25 years. And then what you see uh, towards the turn of the century, right, so going into the 1900s, you begin to see um, this massive anti-black movement that's going on by white America, particularly around economics, um, around sexual identity, around political power. And it was all framed within the mindset that black people were animalistic, that black people... Uh, were over overly sexual. No way that that this type of 
these type of people can hold political office, can hold a respectable business, and so on and so forth. And so I compare the two, and I'm really and and, I, and, and in addition to the, the the prison industrial complex that we have that is so racialized. Um, and I said, there's no difference. You know, there's no difference between what was going on in the late 1800s versus what's going on now. You know, in the beginning of you know this millennium. And you know what's interesting is that in many ways it reminds me of affirmative action and um, to an extent even reparations for all the right. suffering prior to this point. But, you know, we did with some of these mandates truly flourish because there was Black Wall Street, for instance. Um, and I think the backlash may have stemmed more from jealousy, <laughs> uh, for lack of a better word, among whites to see us uh, excelling so quickly and so strongly uh, because of some of these initiatives at the time. One of you know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to do I'm going to do a, a, another angle on that. In addition to what you what, what you said is, is that I think what we saw was that America still has a lot of issues with race. Right, and so right. you know, and so what happened in my piece? I talked about there was an excellent. It was around two thousand five. There was an excellent um, traveling museum called. Um, it was called like the sanctuary, I believe, but it was a lynching museum, and it was um, actually based upon a book by a Jewish man who 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 discovered you know years before that that a family member of his had an heirloom. And the heirloom was is that the family member inherited um, some kind of lynching paraphernalia, and I forgot exactly what it was. Um, mm -hmm. And so he began to discover that a lot of white people um, were being passed down um, souvenirs from lynchings that took place in the 17, 18, and early 1900s. Every, anything from, like, postcards, because there were actually lynching postcards that were distributed right. in the United States to actual um, embalmed body parts like testicles, eyes, fingers. Um, there was even like a purse that was made out of the skin of a black man who was lynched. And so he, um, you know, out of this, seeing this atrocity, he began, you know, it, it inspired him to do this lynching museum to just talk about the lynchings that went on um, in America. And so what, what, that was about, you know, in the 90s this happened. So these, these inheritances are just not physical. They're also ideological. Um, they also are deeply cultural and embedded in the white consciousness. And I believe that what happened is, is that when masses of people feel, feel like as if their privilege is revoked, the majority, this is um, um, a reflection of it. But I really like um so there's this guy by the name of Tim Wise, and I like what he says as well. He also says is that the status quo also um, plays upon people's fears. It also pumps an agenda that is actually against the masses of white folk and working-class white folk that were out in these Tea Party protests and all this other stuff. It's actually against it. But they use this whole thing of, like, uh, that, that, that white skin somehow denotes to some type of privilege in, in the United States and also in post, I know I'm long-winded, so I'm so, I'm so sorry, but also in post-reconstruction um, in terms of, it was called the Nader, the Nader era, right, N-A-D-I-R, the Nader era, um, mm -hmm. a lot of the atrocities carried out by poor 
white folks and working class white folks that felt that the black people who were getting their businesses and getting land and so on and so forth were competing with them economically. So here you have right. today, what do you have today, right? So um, I know I'm long-winded. I'm going roundabout to say that um, I think it's an inherited consciousness that we're also dealing with. Right. Well, and let me let let our listeners know that you have a, a again a beautiful blog. Uh, the URL website address is ecosoulintellectual.blogspot.com, and we talk a little bit more about it. Let's fast forward and make the parallels between uh, the post Reconstruction era and the post Obama Reconstruction era, as you so eloquently point out wow. in your piece. Right. And, and let me so let me let me just say this. And this is going to be very quickly. Is, is that the reason why I call it a post Obama? I call that 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 specific article a post Obama era is because that's what they said we, we were in. But really, we're really in a post Bush regime era. You know what? A lot of people don't realize we still are dealing with a lot of with the policies that Bush and the administration for eight years put down. That's right. So, so we're trying to clean up the mess in many ways. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Okay, and, you know, we can talk about, um, compare the 2008 election headlines to the current headlines. Uh, would you like to speak about that a little bit? Would you like to talk about, you know, um, let's talk, again, more of the post-Obama Reconstruction era and put that into context for our listeners, if you'd be so kind. Okay, well, the post-Obama era started, or that, that, that catchphrase started, um, um, especially in the whole, you know, in terms of in the blogosphere and in, 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 in these in intellectual circles to, to, to signify a period of time um, that was supposedly that because a black man, an African-American man, had been elected into office, then America... Um, had really dealt with its serious issue on race. Okay, mm-hmm. so that so so when Obama got elected, you saw several things. Well, well it, 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 in the media, and 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 let me say there because I'm a I'm a media studies professor. Um, there's the mainstream media, and then there's alternative media, other alternative, right? So mainstream media was really pumping initially, this whole idea that America finally stood as a unified country, right? And um, and that um, Obama was a very clever, this very smart, this very ingenious man that mobilized the youth, that used technology, that raised money, uh, and raised a consciousness that had never been before. Com- uh, the only thing closest to that was uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln. But, so these are the things that are going on in, in early 2008. And also, there was this, this, this climate of a, a, a drastic shift in public policy, political policy, and also a dra- drastic shift in socially how we would deal. That's, I'm, these are, this is like the infant stages of the post-Obama era. But mm-hmm. shortly after that, you see a rise. And, and, and let me tell you, as a, as a professor, I can clearly remember like after Obama was elected, I, I one of one of the universities uh, that I was teaching at at the time, um, there was a young lady who was, uh, you know, she was uh, she was a right wing conservative, a very unapologetic. I remember her breaking down in class 
and saying that we were all going to go to hell and that we were all going to see, like, like this, this demon, this demigod that was put into office, right? So shortly after you have this kumbaya moment, for lack of a better word, then you see a, 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 you, then you see the media then begin covering this funky little organization in South Florida that's covered, which we now know as the Tea Party. What's very interesting is, is that prior to the Obama election, like radical groups never really were covered in mainstream media. But very inter interestingly, you have this, this group that wants to take their country back. So now what you see in the mainstream media is a lot of attention on this organization. And as you know, when you provide exposure to things, it begins to grow. So then people be, and then this organization, as the media reports, begins to play on the fears of a, a white conscious America um, in terms of um, um, people losing their rights. Uh, in terms of also uh, now you're going to have, Kind of like the, uh, um, uh, a, 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 a colonized America or a, or, or a reverse slavery system that's put in place. Where mm -hmm. now you have the majority, the white majority or the so-called white majority now being subjected to conditions that are akin to a Jim Crow era. So these are the things that are being pumped into mainstream, mainstream media. Now the mainstream media said that they didn't support this perspective, but they were given a lot of airtime, right? This is going on in the post-Obama uh, era, uh, the, the post era. And, um, and and I thought that that was very interesting because never before had, had, had that really been put, not since, since the 70s, especially something as radical um, as the South Florida, Florida group. Right, and let's let's tie it into today's headlines. I mean, we can talk about the, the attempted assassination of Senator Gifford. Uh, we can even talk about the uh, 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 Christie's educational reform. Let's let's talk about the parallels between the Jim Crow era and where we now are now uh, today in the post-Obama reconstruction. Okay. Because in many ways it is a reconstruction. Because again, he has to put the country back together after the Bush fiasco and even before that, right? Right. And 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 I must and I must and I must say and I must say this is is that. Um, I've always, and I stand firm with this, is that we always must we always must be critical of any administration, you know. And, right, and right. working in politics, I I know I know this is is that politicians um, are nothing but figureheads, and it is the people that move. It is the people that should be moving them, right? So mm -hmm. I, I'm saying that to say is is that I have had critiques of some of the things that Obama has done. As an American, I should. You know what I mean? So I, I wanted mm -hmm. to add that caveat before I, I, I talk about, um, um, uh, you know, I, I go into uh, what we would say. You were saying the post-construction of era and the parallels between, what was the... Well, I think, yeah, I think, there's, I think there's a, a very strong parallel between the Jim Crow era and the post-Obama era what? where we are today. When we talk okay. about health, health, health reform, when we talk about uh, the attempted assassination of Senator Gifford, um, you know, it, it's almost like we, we, we go full circle with some of this stuff. Okay. Well, I want to, I, 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 in terms of, there's a really, and I, and I know you've you heard, heard of, of it, but 
Michelle Alexander, um, very astute woman, um, she gave a speech at Riverside Baptist Church um, recently, which is in Harlem. Um, right, the author. Isn't that the author who talked yes. about the parallels to Jim Crow today with, uh, the, uh, with the prison, the industrial prison corporations? Yes, yes. And this is really an excellent, and I think this is an excellent um, conversation that needs to be taking place, but also also action in it. Because um, it, the prison industry, she gives excellent, I, I was just checking her out, and I was like, right on, sister. She gives excellent um, examples. So, so what happened is, is that, and I think what happened is after after the emancipation, America was trying to figure out what to do with all these black people, right? Right. right. And they were even considering shipping us back, weren't they? I think uh, that was Lincoln's idea. If I'm right. Not that was Lincoln. Lincoln. That was Lincoln. You know, to ship them back to America, right? And so, um, and so, you know, Jim Crow is actually is actually with the Jim Crow laws had predecessors. You have what we call the slave codes, right? So the slave codes were rules that regulated black folks. So an example of the slave code, and it was during the slavery is that black people cannot gather um, together ever, right? right? So if, if, if a group of black people are gathering together, then they're the issue, which you can clearly mm-hmm. see that goes on now. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Black you know, that, that's still going on. Another slave code was that black people, a, a drum could not be played in public, and that's still on record, right? So a drum actually being played in pub, in a public, it could be, you know, you could be arrested. So so after uh, slavery ended, you had what was called black holes. So black holes were the, uh, they were the informal, formal rules and regulations that black people um, had to observe, right? Especially, you know, so, um, for example, one of them is is that a black person could not be in a white section of town after dark unless they had a pass that indicated that they were employers there. All right. So mm-hmm. then, after black codes um, came Jim Crow, right? So Jim Crow was 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 the system, right? And so um, uh, Michelle Alexander, she signifies the prison industrial system complex. And this is very interesting because after the emancipation of America was figuring out what to do with all these black people, they began to actually en masse lock up black folks, black males, and juveniles. Because a lot of, you know, because of, as a result of slavery, a lot of families were, you know, disrupted. So you had a lot of orphans. So, mm-hmm. so black people began to be criminalized then. And so she makes this really great. Uh, uh, she threads really great uh, um, a piece to say that the first actual prison industrial complex was funded by black bodies, and it still is being funded by black bodies or fueled by black bodies. So mm-hmm. that that's that's a really glaring. Uh, that, that is really important when you when you look at disproportionately in cities where you have significant amounts of of black folks in those states, you have a disproportionate number of black people in jail, in prison, especially black men. Right. So right. a lot of things in terms of criminalizing black men in, in the post-reconstruction era, today black men are criminalized. When I ask my students, when you, think of, when you hear on the news, if you could close your eyes and you, you hear on the news, there was a shooting today in New York, what is the face that comes up? All right. That's right. That's right. right. Let's, it, let's, it, let's, 
let, let me quickly, uh, just let our listeners Hello? know. Yes, uh-huh. can you hear us? Okay, uh, you're listening to The Gist of Freedom is Faith. I'm going to ask you, good sister, if you can stay with us about another 15 minutes because this is such an engaging conversation. We don't want to let you go. Is that clear uh, on I'm your end? I'm rolling. That is no problem. I'm here. Okay. Uh, and let's talk a little bit about, uh, and I'm, I'm with you. I think, again, the, the, the prison system today is nothing more than modern slavery uh, revisited or slavery revisited. Uh, the correlation is indeed that strong, and uh, I do a lot of work with black youth, so we're always trying to bend that pipeline somehow. I'm with you. Uh, can you compare for us uh, the Gifford uh, attempted assassination to Sumner? You know what? I never, I, I, I haven't, I have to admit, I didn't put that into the equation. I would really like to hear what your thoughts are on it. Well, I, this, I, is actually, this is actually Leslie who was interested in this. Uh, and I don't know that I'm that knowledgeable to truly speak to it either. Uh, you know, I, I tend to not read too much of uh, the current news because it's usually blues and it's usually bad news. Uh, and I try to stay as positive as possible. Uh, but so let's get back into it. Okay. What are some of the What are some of the other parallels that you've noted that you've uh, feel are prevalent when we look oh. at post-Reconstruction and post-Obama, and right. post-Obama media. era. Right, media. So let's, 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 let's get more into media. So um, 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 in 1906, there was something called the Atlanta Riots, and um, in the, the Atlanta Riots started um, um, in downtown Atlanta, and there was, and it started uh, um, um uh, like a, it, it, it was fueled. Well, it, it started in downtown Atlanta, but it was fueled by months and months of the news of the local newspapers printing all of the printing uh, anti-black propaganda, and a lot of that was around pictorial images. So you know how you have the cartoon drawers. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the cartoons at the time were. For example, a black man trying to rape a white woman, or a black man as an elephant, or um, a big white man, you know, talking about how black people are going to steal all the jobs, right? Um, mm-hmm. So now uh, it's very interesting when you look at a lot of the caricatures and in, in the cartoons, of, uh, in terms of the political cartoons uh, around Obama. Uh, uh, a lot of, uh, in, in terms of, its physical features are more like monkey-like. Mm-hmm. Um, they are animalistic in their debasing. Uh, right. um, the cartoons uh, that you see in mainstream are very conservative, uh, are, are right-wing conservative consciousness in terms of here you have this black man that's going to take power or take control of you, much like the post-Reconstruction era. So in 1906, Atlanta riots were fueled, and, and, and so, like, uh, in this propaganda, and then one day a fight broke out, and, you know, you know, a lot of the black communities in, in Atlanta were, were sports, right? So black people had to flee. So media plays a really big part then and now in terms of consciousness. Hello? Yeah, I'm here. I'm listening. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. Right, and I agree, and, and you mentioned earlier in the broadcast that... Uh, media has flourished 
relative to non-traditional or alternative media is what I believe you called it, and mainstream uh, media, which as we well know is controlled by maybe five or six major corporations who in many ways uh, control what we see, control what we hear, and more often than not, it's a very limited uh, perspective. Right, and also what what you hear in the media is you hear um, um, in the post Obama era, you hear there's there's one thing of being a harsh critic of something, but there's another thing of, of personally attacking somebody. Sure. And sure. so what we what I I remember, um, and and this is not just even Obama. This is just not, and it's not just black people. It's people of color and poor folk. More, let's talk about, I'm going to talk, focus on people of color. So, for example, um, the Katrina, I mean, sorry, sorry, the um, Haiti, Haiti and Katrina, they're the same, right? So when the, hate, when, the, when the earthquake happened in Haiti, I distinctly remember Pat Robertson getting on and saying that this is what Haiti deserved, that they're a devil-worshipping country um, um, and, 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 and that they practice voodoo and, the, and, and that, this earthquake is a sign of God. Right. right. So, and and then this this same guy several during the Obama elections he was on Fox News, and and I forgot the young woman the the black woman's name and they were in this political debate about Obama and he tells the woman to shut up, right? So never before do you hear like these really virulent like nasty attacks, very much invaded embedded and, like, a violent, racist mentality on the news, right? That right. prior to that, if you were saying that about about Bush, well, the last year of Bush, you know, he was getting knocked around. For the most part, if you were to say that about Bush, you your career would be over. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of people's critique around Obama is, is, is beyond disrespectful, you know. It, it would be even considered in some ways, it would be... Um, you know, as if it's threatening the head of state. But this is being allowed now. You know, this is being right. allowed in this era. Right, right. Uh, and, and I think in, in many ways um, these personal attacks are not, nothing more than distractions or diversions to, as you suggest, the, the real issues that uh, should be deemed more important. Right, uh, and, and, and the real issues, and, and I would like to, the, the, the real issues, I don't even think the majority of the people who are at these protests even understand what the real issues are. That's the problem. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, one of the things, you know, and, it, and it's interesting because on your website, and again, I want to share the link, ecosoulintellectual.blogspot.com, uh, um, you have this wonderful photo of, the first black United States senators elected in the late 1800s. Right, and, right. And I wonder what they were up against. I mean, wouldn't it, it would be amazing to be able to um, clearly focus on this group and some of the challenges they had as black elected officials uh, during that era. I can definitely tell you a very interesting dynamic that was going on at that time, and that was actually around gender, right? So at this time where you have, you know, black people um, 
being able to be elected officials, black people being being uh, able to, to, to vote, at that time, only men could vote, all right? Right, right. But also, what was going on, what also was going on at the time, you know, so Frederick Douglass was still alive during this period that I'm talking about. So there were, it was called the Universal Negro Improvement, I mean the Negro Improvement and also Women's Improvement. So there was this big political discussion about who do we give after, after emancipation, who do we give the right to vote, black men or women, all right? And, mm-hmm. you know, Frederick Douglass, who was a heavyweight, was actually, who's actually considered in the feminist world the first male feminist because he was totally in support of women getting the right to vote. His stance was is that any person oppressed, if any any person oppressed, male or female, means that we're all oppressed. That was his, his, his point of view. But when the conversation about who do we give the, the, the right to vote, black men or women, he said, hey, i got to go with black men. i got to go with black people finally being able to be articulate and discuss our point of view in this political arena. And mm-hmm. so the women, the white women, we're talking about the Susan B. Anthony's and the cats and the, and the cat series at the time, you know, told, said publicly that, you know, how dare you to their husbands and their uncles, how dare you give these, like, uh, you know, apes, these animals, the right, you know, to hold political office over us. They're uneducated, they're ignorant, and they don't, they're uncivilized. And so that was one of the things that the men were facing um, um, at that time, Um, you know, so that's just something. I would suspect that Frederick Douglass had a role uh, as a media mogul at that time, uh, if I'm not not mistaken. And I find it amazing that, uh, that these black senators were able to get enough votes in, at that time, in that era, um, to you know, to win these elections, it, it, I mean, it, it's amazing. It, 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 it amazes me when you look at the dynamic of again a hostile white society and um, our first black senators in this country. Right. Well, in place, the federal government made sure um, that that there was fair representation during th- that election time. So it definitely was through the federal government and the protection of the federal government um, that it happened. And it's very interesting that, you know, the first, you know, black congressional uh, political officers were from two states that today have some of the most repressive and oppressive conditions. That's Mississippi and South Carolina, right? Which back then were politically forward. You you know, people might think, oh, it was New York. Oh, no, it was Mississippi. In South Carolina, right, and and that was also because you had you had huge populations of black folks in Mississippi and South Carolina. As a matter of fact, Mississippi still has the most population of black people in any state in the United States, right? So uh, you know that that also plays into you know how how these men and also these men were state statesmen already, you know, um, even if they were not you know political statesmen. Um, they were very well educated. Um, you know, they they were professionals, and they were already part of the political discourse anyway. So, I mean, they, you know, there weren't you know um, you know people you know these guys that they just plucked and put. And they were made men. These were men who actually advocated and did work. Mm. 
Hey, let me, you know, you, you have a very interesting um, quote or paragraph here on the site when you talk about, uh, though I am fervent in holding Obama accountable, I often must sit back and acknowledge the racial, gender, and classist dynamics at work in the public sphere. But what I see are systematic entrapments to disempower and effective leadership and the consciousness of country that not only believed, but knew there was a better way, and it did come in a black face. I find well, that uh, quite eloquent. <laughs> Thank I you. I appreciate it. <laughs> Sometimes I write yeah. better than I talk, right? And the reason why I said that, brother, the reason why I said that was, is, is that in these, in these, see, you know, at the, I don't know if you remember this, but also what was going on was is that there was this whole thing that, oh, black people, you know, the Republican Party was a party that emancipated black people, and it was a party of black people, you know, for a long time. We did all these progressive things for black people, and, you know, all that, all that stuff was going on. So the reason why I said that is is that as we're talking about how do we move forward in this country, I must always, always keep into mind that there are dynamics that are at play, that are unseen, that navigate how people move and think, and even myself, you know. Mm -hmm. So race, gender, class, these things move how people, and, 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 and it's unfortunate that there are people who allow these superficialities um, um, to direct them in a direction that undermines them living healthy, beautiful, fruitful, productive lives. That's right. That's you right. Know? And you know, when I, when we look at Obama, and I often I often suggest that you 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 can't put you can put a good captain on a bad ship, but we're yes, all sir. still sink and drown. And that it's really not uh, one man black or otherwise. It's a machine that truly controls the inner workings of the society and country. Uh, and I'd like to get your final thoughts. Uh, we enjoy having you. Uh, we're going to have to certainly have you back because I don't think I think we should have just uh, scratched the su surface in terms of this discussion. There's so many different uh, arms and tentacles to it, if you will. But share with us, if you will, your final thoughts. And uh, we're so grateful that you took some time to be with us tonight. Okay, well, you know, thank you. Thank you, Sister Leslie. I really appreciate um, being on. I I'm just going to say what's been kind of going on in my mind and, you know, uh, what's been going on is, is that um, uh, uh, I've been talking a lot about uh, the Cornell West um, um, controversy, if you want to. Uh, to me, it wasn't even controversy, is, is that I think, terms of we want to talk about black folk is is that we are of a time where we are sophisticated enough into thinking where we can critique and critique in a healthy way whoever is in, in, in office and we suffer too much to allow anybody to just make a decision and be all right with this without engaging in meaningful discourse and also being being active, you know. And, you know, um, I think, um, you know, my mom and I, we, we're, we're in different generations. And, you know, she said, oh, I didn't like the way 
you know, how Cornell West and other people, you know, air our dirty laundry, right? But at the at the end of the day, the dirty drawers got to get clean. <laughs> we got to clean these dirty drawers, all right? That's right. That's you right. Know, Very and, well and, said. You know, and so however we do it, of course we must do it with finesse and grace, but at the same time, we must understand that it is an ugly process. Yes, yes. Well, you know, uh, there's nothing we can't overcome together, but it seems that in this day and age, uh, in many ways we've become uh, very divisive even among ourselves, and I think that sometimes towards our overall progress as a people and planet. Uh, again, thank you so much, my sister, for being with us. Uh, let's plug the website one more time, ecosoulintellectual.blogspot.com. I encourage our listeners to check out her wonderful blog, Stay abreast of this wonderful sister and her wonderful perspective. Again, thank you so much. In closing, let us remember the spirit of our greatness as embodied by those who paved the way for us. For in many ways, their souls still live within us. We hope by sharing their and these stories, we have helped to reawaken your strength and passion in their honor so that we are inspired to make history every day. Thank you for joining us on The Gist of Freedom is Faith. Good night, and God bless. Danny, I just figured out that if I switch to Metro PCS, I get two Samsung Galaxy.